wants to jump. 1,000 cars. Sir, you have a 1,000 cars. I don't think I'd attempt to try this stunt. Or we, we owe this horsepower to Uncle Sam. <laughs> Too many cars. Car. You know, roses would be... Uh... Like, I put my beer belly on it. Yeah. And you can't immediately tell somebody how many cars you have. You'll really give those uppity yuppies something to think about. Stay on the bar. Don't go yeah. off the bar with your Bronco. 1980 Volvo horns, what's right? Like, me, me. Yeah, the man's coolant. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I thought it'd be small. It's for a small car. And I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's still an automatic transmission. They're never going to be light. It's definitely going to have to crash. Starting off with Brad buying another car. That's the West. <laughs> Internet. You know, is this a Nigerian oil print? Uh, I also wish you drove a tan Camry. Anyways, anyway, that, that's har- a horrible, very horrible podcast content. Very inside joke. Welcome to Auto Off Topic. Hello, Brad. Evening, Andrew. How are you? How are you? Uh, I'm good. Um, I'm going to apologize in advance to the listening audience today. There will probably be some dog barking. We are currently having uh, some home improvements done, and the dog does not like people in the yard. So apologies in advance. I'm not going to yell at her to stop barking. She has a two-year-old puppy, and it is what it is. We're, uh, we're moving a wall, so in order to have that done, it requires noise, and the dog is not like that. So, so here we are with a loud barking dog. But, and I say that, and now she won't bark the entire time we record, so wasted space. Well, that's the goal. That, that is the goal, yes. Um, I guess we'll, uh, we'll start the podcast with a, a moment of silence for one of the, the puppies of the podcast. I did lose Ollie this yes. week. Um, Ollie made many guest appearances. He did make many guest appearances, and uh, both in audio format and in photographs. So he was in quite a few pictures with the cars. So um, unfortunately, he was, we don't know exactly how old, but I had him for over 10 years, and he was five or six when he came to me. So he was at least 15 or 16, if not older. So he had a good run, and I uh, just, uh, unfortunately, he uh, he passed on a week ago today, actually last Monday that we were recording. So it was not easy for me, that's for sure, but he is not suffering, and he's uh, he's gone now. So quick moment of silence for Ollie. Anyway, to bring up the podcast and bring the mood back up, Andrew, what's going on with you? Oh, uh, well, I was out visiting you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was fun. Most most of the week was fun. Yeah, except, except all you passed for that day. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, well, hey, for, for, for my sake, I'm glad all you guys were here. It certainly helped. So, yeah. But we did get to work on your cars, and then I was instantly jealous because I hadn't worked on anything because it had been cold. So I came home and I was like, "I'm going to work on some stuff," but it's still been cold. So, well, you know, anytime you I want, like, or in your winter time in New England, you are more than welcome to fly to Arizona and help me wrench on stuff. I should just be a snowbird, probably. I mean, are you ready uh, to retire at? 30 something years old because that's absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely i guess i was i guess i am too at 40 something years old so 
if I could, I would. And then I just, you know, fill my time with working on cars and, and volunteering or something. Yeah, I'm I'm ready to retire to being a parts driver for O'Reilly's and just working on my cars at my my own pace. <laughs> yeah, low stress life. Um. So anyway, I, yeah, we got to work on some of your stuff that was kind of annoying, but it wasn't supposed to be annoying. It was supposed to be fruitful, but I don't know. The annoying thing is, is that we worked on a bunch of stuff and we fixed a bunch of stuff, but we didn't actually accomplish much. There's a bunch of little things. The, the Cressida is by far the most annoying. The 80 Cressida? Is it 80 or 81? It's an 81. 81. Yeah, the Corolla is an 80. So the I have the four Toyotas. The tr- pickup truck's a 78. The other Cressida is a 79. The Corolla is an 80. And this Cressida is an 81. So I have 78, the 81 covered. So Okay. But yeah, the 81 Cressida. I admittedly had not touched it since the last time you were here, which was September last year. Yeah. So last we left off, the car ran, but it wouldn't rev past a certain RPM, whatever number that is. I don't remember now. It wasn't very high. It was low enough. The car is not really drivable. So... We diagnosed a giant vacuum leak last time you were here. And in repairing this giant vacuum leak, we decided to just replace every vacuum hose in the car. And we think we probably knocked it because we had this giant leak in the vacuum advance. Meaning, right. like it was a giant leak. Like there was nothing plugged into the vacuum advance because the mice had chewed the, the vacuum line off of the end of it. So we thought that was probably going to fix the problem. And all the other vacuum leaks were fixed. And we fixed all of the hoses. And then you came out this week or this month. And we put the rest of the hoses on. And we used some silicone couplers and an aluminum pipe to recreate the intake. Because the factory stuff was dry rotted and old. And somebody had made that intake pipe out of like 73 pound fence tubing. So we wanted to kind of make it a little less ridiculous. So we did all of that and then went to start the car and it just cranked and cranked and cranked. So before we did too much diagnostics, we're like, all right, let's just go get some gas. So I have this little two and a half gallon gas can and I put it in the car, filled it with two and a half gallons of gas. So it'd have enough to, you know, prime the pump and if there was if there was not enough fuel or something. And then it cranked and cranked and cranked. And then you're like, well, let's check spark. So we check spark and Andrew will, we didn't have spark. So nope, no spark. Thankfully I do have a repair manual for the car, which has the electrical diagrams in the car. So once we checked all like the basic reasons for no spark, we went ahead and broke out the wiring diagram and checked back everything, every relay everything in the ignition system, everything related to spark. We had the multimeter out, checking the coil, checking like everything. The frustrating part here though, is that when we last worked on the car, it had spark because it it ran. It literally was able to drive into the parking spot. 
uh, I think the phrase of the week here on the uh, on the Discord is "ran when parked." So this is one of the, another one of those cars that Brad has that ran when parked. So it did run when I parked it, and now it's not making spark, and it's super frustrating. So I think we kind of exhausted our diagnostic abilities, did we not? Pretty much. We went down through the book, did all the checks. So it must be that igniter thingy that's on the coil. So there's one last part that even the book says, check this, then this. If not this, then this. Check this, then this. If not this, then this. And then if all else fails, replace the igniter. There's no test method for the igniter. It just says replace igniter. Now, the problem with the igniter is that it is available. Brand new aftermarket. But it's like $450. Now, I don't you remember. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember. I remember. I don't know if you all remember going back to the 1978 Toyota pickup. I also had an issue with an igniter. It didn't have one. And I was able, which also is a you know $400 part, but I was able to bypass it by buying parts from a GM HEI ignition system. And I was able to make those $35 parts work to make the truck make spark. The problem is this car is not carbureted it's fuel injected so the igniter actually sends a signal back to the ecu to tell the injectors which ones and when to fire so you can't bypass the igniter there's no repair diagnostics for the igniter and there's no repair process for the igniter by way of the internet so i i do have a number of Toyotas, and I do have a spare igniter for the 1979 Cressida. So we grab that, but unfortunately, it has a different number of wires going to it. It's a different part, again, because that car is also carbureted, and this other car is fuel injected. So using that igniter is not going to work. So now I'm on the hunt for an igniter, I guess, because I don't know what else to do. I don't really want to spend $400 on a part for a car that was $600 that might not fix the car. That's also an issue. Because if I spend $600 or $400 on a part and a $600 car, now I have a $1,000 car that may or may not run. And I don't want to do that. 1981 Toyota Crestas are not exactly prevalent in the junkyard. Or anywhere. And the only person I know who had 1981 Toyota Cressida parts actually just sold this igniter about a month before I needed it. So that also doesn't help me very much. (laughs) So I'm a little bit at a loss for this one. I need to find the igniter or figure out a way to bypass it. I know that my Corolla also has a bypassed igniter but that car is also not fuel injected. So there has to be something in between replacing a faulty igniter and bypassing it in some way, some way to do it that doesn't involve like a full custom ECU. 
because that's obviously an option too, which I'm not going down because that's even more than four hundred dollars. So it's a little it's a little frustrating. Um, older cars are easier to diagnose like this because you know it's air fuel spark, right? Which essentially mm-hmm. newer cars are the same, but there's so many more things controlling the fuel and spark aspect of things. So it's just the car is at that point in age where it's old enough to be interesting and vintage, new enough to be complicated, but also old enough that parts don't exist. So just got need to figure it out, I guess. An MSD box isn't much cheaper. An MSD box doesn't solve the issue, uh, which I would have just bought an MSD box because if I bought an MSD box, which is what the 80 Corolla has, and it didn't fix the car, I'd at least have an MSD box and I could use it to update the $35 part that I put in the truck. But the MSD box doesn't solve the issue of sending the signal back to the ECU properly to make it run. Uh, I wonder what nobody knows. What is the signal? I don't, I didn't really look it up. Uh, from what I can find on the internet, nobody has taken these things apart to the point where they can fix them. So I don't know what the next step is. I found a few articles of people being like, hey, can we rebuild this? And people just being like, no, you cannot rebuild this. So, but I mean, if, if, if there's companies out there that can rebuild the ECU for a 30 year old Mitsubishi Eclipse, why can't somebody rebuild this little box, you know? So it's, it's gotta be fairly simple. It's just gotta be a circuit board with some capacitors, right? What else could it be? Yeah, I don't know. Weird. Yeah. So I'm just not sure. I'll have to, it's going to require some more research, but unfortunately after you left and I had a, a, some grieving time for my poor dog and I started a new job this week, which has been, you know, or last week, which has been trying. So it's been, uh, it's been some downtime since you left. So I have to actually get back into it and hopefully, hopefully this weekend I can dig back in there and get some more, some more answers, you know. It's frustrating, but that is the Cressida. The, the plan is to get this car running and driving and making it the daily driver. I just, it needs to get there one step at a time. And I'm just not there yet. Or get rid of it to somebody who wants to engine swap a Cressida. I am not that person. I mean, I do want to engine swap a Cressida, just not an 81 Cressida. So... Anyway, what else we do while you were here, Andrew? More project car yeah, Weird, O'Reilly's. Sorry, I was just Googling it. O'Reilly sells these. Yeah, for $300, right? Or $400? Yeah, weird. Yeah. What about the difference? There's import direct and then standard ignition. Well, is there a price difference? Yeah, like $100. What's the cheapest one? But it's like the picture is the same part. Is there one that's cheaper? It's 364 Okay, so it's not cheaper it's still expensive if you said like 250 i might have been like screw it i'll buy it and we'll see what happens weird it just seems like so much money like i, I paid 600 for the car so paying 400 for a single part is hard to hard to swallow oh interesting maybe i should just take it apart and open it up and see what's in it uh yeah it doesn't look like you can take it apart just looking at pictures of it but yeah 
Well, that's that's what it is. So you, you look at the bottom of it, and it's like a glued-in piece. But I mean, anything that got put together can come apart, right? And if it's actually broken, does it actually matter if I take it apart? If I can't put it back together again? Who knows? So... Anyway, it's quite frustrating. And if anybody has any experience who's listening with, you know, uh, ignition systems on it's 1980s Toyotas. I'm surprised that O'Reilly's actually has it and has the right picture. Well, it's, it's just shocking to me. It's the same part across any car that came with a six cylinder Toyota at the time. So that would be, I guess, only two cars, this and the Supra. But the Supra community is probably why it exists. Because they probably buy enough of them. Because Supras are no longer $600 cars that you can find in a desert. So they're worth something. Mm. <clears throat> so I wonder if that's part of the reason. But yeah, no, it's not It's not that I can't find the part. It's just that I'm not willing to pay 85% of the value of the car for the part. You know, in, that would be like spending $19,000 for a part for your Volkswagen. Just wouldn't make any sense. Which is a ridiculous comparison, obviously, but I just don't think it would make any sense. At the end of the day, I would still have under $1,000 mechanically into this car, but it would just be, it would be frustrating. I, I can think of much better uses for that $400 in this part. When I know there has to be a way to get around it. And it is what it is. Anyway, want to move on to the next car? Sure. All right. So anybody who listens knows about my uh, love-hate relationship with the XR4Ti. I think we sort of talked about it. We talked a lot about the fuel problem. I don't know if we talked about the boost problem. Well, we haven't recorded since you were here working on it. So, you know, to start off, but you drove it. Yeah, I did. Driving impressions? Yeah, it drives. Right. Drove down the street. It's not fun. Yeah, it doesn't stop very well. No. Which I which I know and I want to get to, but there's making it go is also important. So um, I think you described it as uh, it drives like an 80s Ford Ranger. Yeah. Like it doesn't drive special. And it's supposed to drive special. And everybody I've talked to says that they drive very special. So something is definitely wrong. We talked about the fuel in the past with the fuel pump, and we now know that that has been repaired. But sometimes the car makes boost, and sometimes the car doesn't make boost. And when it makes boost, it goes really fast. And when it doesn't make boost, it drives like a 1988 Ford Ranger with a 2.3 liter. It just is not fast. So... You had a thought that because the temperature gauge never went up very high, it only goes to about like, I don't know what, one eighth to a quarter somewhere up. Your thought was maybe the car is not allowing it to make boost because it doesn't know that it's up to temperature. Well, there's no boost solenoid, but I thought it was running too rich and just dumping too much fuel. That was, yeah. So we decided to change the coolant temperature sensors and take it apart and make sure it had a 
thermostat inside of it, which it does. <laughs> but we replaced it anyway because we were in there. And we replaced that temperature sensors in hopes that it would run better and didn't uh, didn't seem to do it, did it? It did not. Yeah. Um, Car falls. It started to come up to temp. I don't... It just feels like it's making like four pounds of boost. It's really weird. Yeah. But sometimes it makes the right amount of boost, which is the weird thing. Sometimes it works. Now, there's no... Me- sure, if you say so. Uh, listen, uh, you can talk to... You, yeah, he did talk to Naomi about it. She's felt it both ways. She knows that sometimes it's fast and sometimes it's not. So, it, unfortunately, when you were here, it was not fast every time we drove it. So, I know you don't believe me, but that's what's actually happening. And I don't... <laughs> I don't believe you because you drive so many slow cars that maybe if it just feels a little bit faster, no, it feels really fast. No, 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 no. It was, it was very... I guess very fast isn't the word, but it was quite quick every now and again. And then other times it's just a dog. So there's no mechanical boost gauge in the car. It only has, you know, the electronic gauge in the dashboard, which is very similar to like a DSM style gauge where it reads boost based off of what it should be. (laughs) So it's not exactly accurate. It's like an ECU signal that puts the boost signal up there, right? Yeah, it just goes by like RPM yep. and stuff. It's like, <clears throat> yeah, it's not exactly accurate. So I think you suggested, and I, I've ordered the parts now, but I haven't actually done the job yet because they aren't here yet. Just ordered them actually yesterday to get a bunch of line, which I have from doing the Cressida stuff, uh, and just get a little, you know, boost gauge and put it in the cabin of the car and see what the actual boost is. So yeah. that's going to be the next step. So hopefully uh, next week we can have an update on that. But the good news is you did get to look at the car and have put your eyesight on it. And you also agree now the car is stupid clean. Super, super clean. Yeah. Like underneath the car is as nice as the top as well. Everything's fresh. The yeah. steering rack is good. The You know, all the bushings are nice. It's got, you know, freshly surfaced, obviously, tire rods. And brakes, which is why it's weird they don't work. I'm assuming they need to be. They need, I'm assuming they need to be bled. I don't think they were bled right. Yeah. So, but and and it's got drums in the rear, so it's probably got air in the cylinders in the back. Yeah. So because you almost have to like double pump them. So you at least know the car is worth, or it fixing. needs rear wheel cylinders. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be leaking fluid. It's just. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably air. You're probably right. But nonetheless, I haven't gotten there yet because I haven't had the car running good enough yet to worry about making it stop. <laughs> so, but at least you gave it a clean bill of health as well. And you looked over it and you know why I like the car because it is super clean and super nice and it's super pretty. It just needs a little bit more love to be super good all around. I'm not sure exactly what that a little bit of love left is, but it needs something. So maybe I can get those parts in there and and figure it out. So, however, while I was putting that car back together, you wrenched on the Corolla a little bit. Thank you very much. Actually, you also drove the Corolla. Yeah, does that run any better? You also drove the Corolla, <laughs> Andrew. What were, your, what were your thoughts on driving I the Corolla? It. Uh, it's got a lot of heart. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's a great way to say it. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it doesn't. It's got a lot of heart and no suspension. It has no suspension. 
Well, I knew that. That's, the, that's what lets the car down. Yeah, that, honestly, I knew that going in that the car had no suspension. Um, but I also know that it, techno toy tuning makes all the parts of the car. It just I bought the car and was going through other things in the car. You know, we talked about the fenders and the wheels and everything. And then I unfortunately lost my job and didn't have the money to buy a suspension. So I am working again. So hopefully within the next month or so, I'll be able to uh, spend a little bit of that free cash. That's car cash on suspension for the car. Because basically, if it had suspension, it'd be drivable. Yeah. It's pretty much uh, almost it's borderline undrivable the way it is. It's drivable. It's just as long as comfort's not your. No, it's like. Like barely safe to drive. I've put a couple thousand miles on it. It's fine. No stress. <laughs> uh, the only time it, I mean, it shifts good. That you fix the shift. It does shift good. Yeah, because you remember last time you where you, you like it it moves stops, it turns, it shifts. It's just like so sketchy to drive because it doesn't it's bouncing all over the place. Yeah. The only time it's really sketchy is when you're coming up to a stop. And if the stop is not smooth and there's bumps, the tires lose contact with the road while stopping. So you get that like it's 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 almost like it has ABS, Andrew. It's like like on off on off on off on off. So, I mean, the fact that like I hit just a bump in your neighborhood and the roof buckled and popped back out, yeah, like, it's pretty bad. <laughs> well, it's also a tin can, which doesn't help either. So, yeah, it's uh, it'll get fixed. But hey, you got to drive it. That's all that matters. So you, what I appreciate about you driving it is that you've driven it now at its worst. So it'll be easy to love it at its best. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me, clear my throat there. Um, I, I think it ran better. I don't know. It, it wasn't took a little bit to warm it up. Takes, and then it seemed it right. takes a little bit to warm up. So what you did to the car was you added in a uh, fuel pressure regulator. Um, yeah. It's one of those parts that I bought back when I first bought the car, and it takes what it take two minutes to install. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you didn't. do I it. just kept forgetting about it, honestly, until you were like, "What are we doing here?" And I just, so many other projects, I just kept forgetting about it. So it's literally an inline fuel pressure regulator that you put on the inlet to the carburetor or the, the, the fuel line goes in and it's a Mr. Gasket. It's just a turn dial and you can set it anywhere from is it one to eight PSI, I think. So the sweet spot that I'm familiar with on a Weber carbureted vehicle, I have them on the Cressida and I had one on the Raider when I had it. The sweet spot is like three and a half PSI. And that's where we set that one. And the biggest thing it does is it gets rid of that that dead spot when you first hit the gas in a car with a Weber. If you don't have a fuel pressure regulator on it, or if the pump makes too much fuel pressure, when you first hit the gas, it almost like it sputters because it almost like blows the spark out with too much fuel. So when you put that fuel pressure regulator in there, you're able to accelerate without you know the car falling flat in its face for a second and then coming back. So it definitely runs better. I've also noticed that the fuel mileage is up significantly. So hmm. it's using significantly less fuel as well. It's running much more efficiently. Um, it's definitely running better. It was definitely an improvement and definitely something I shouldn't have put off for a month and a half or two months. Actually, I think I bought that car in June last year, right? So no, no. Oh no. Cause you weren't even but here yet. <laughs> you were here. I, you had it when I was in like August. And I didn't, I did not own it yet then. No, I was just using it. 
Okay. Yeah. So I didn't buy it till November. So I guess that's not too bad. I'm not too far behind. And considering everything I have done to the car, that's pretty good. So next time you hear that car will be significantly better. Uh, it'll have suspension and the interior will be in a much better place to be because I have a new dash cap coming. I'll have a new windshield uh, and I'll have the proper stereo system radio set up in there. That's appropriate for the car. So I thought it was just a prerequisite. Just have a broken windshield out there. No, it's just part of the style. I hate having broken windshields here, there or anywhere. Uh, when I got the car, it had a broken windshield and I was going to get the windshield replaced. And then because it has no suspension, I was driving down the either the 101 or the 202 and I hit a bump and the windshield cracked at a completely different place, unrelated to where it was cracked before. So I decided that I'm not going to fix the windshield until I get actual suspension in the car. So once I have suspension, I'll get a windshield. But now most things here don't have broken windshields in my possession anyway, only that and the 944. And as we've learned on the 944, it's my fault for dropping the stupid wiper blade on it or the wiper arm. So actually, Andrew, moving on, you also drove the 944 while you were here. I did. And this was a hot take that you put on Twitter, I saw. Yeah. I don't really like it. (laughs) Which is fine. Not every car is for everybody. I get your complaints. Very uncomfortable. You fit in it different than I do. I don't have the issue with, I can turn the steering wheel and I can hold the steering wheel on the bottom. Whereas the way you're built, you don't really fit in the car right. And I think that's the biggest issue. And I don't like sitting on the floor in a car. Oh, see, I love sitting on the floor in a car. I like the way the Mercure sits where you're, it's still like a sports scoop, but you're sitting upright a little bit. Yeah, no, I I, I enjoy being on the floor like a 914. And even uh, even the town that's kind of on the floor is not as on the floor as a 944. I think what makes it feel more on the floor is the position of the steering wheel. Because it comes... That it can't be adjusted and it's turned away from you? It comes almost straight out of the dashboard. And then it turns to the passenger side? I don't. I didn't notice that as much. It feels like uh, the Mazda Cosmo that uh, Myron's that we drove. I feel like the pedal box moves to the left more than the steering wheel goes to the right. Something's not straight on. It's weird. Yeah. Ergonomics are very weird. Well, I don't have exactly the same thoughts as you do. Um, some of your things that you said were that it reminded you of a, like a complicated Miata almost. Like it has Miata power yeah. and somewhat Miata handling and it feels like a Miata, but it's more expensive and more complicated than a Miata. Yeah. So I don't disagree with that. I feel like if you're looking for just the basic sports car experience at the current value for value prospect of what a 944 versus a Miata costs, I don't see much argument for the 944 except for that whole like, Oh, I'm driving a Porsche, which is, not why either of us are into cars. Um, I think had I not gotten, you know, the friend friend price that I got on the car, I probably would never have bought one either. And I I agree with you that the driving experience does not match the twenty thousand dollar plus 
value that a lot of go for now. Oh, no way. Yeah. Uh, maybe a US one with power steering would feel better. Sure. But. Yeah, the power steering is interesting. Um, you didn't really drive it in any twisty roads either. And it's. It's too heavy. It's, he- like it's it. very heavy. Uh, it's very heavy in traffic. It's very heavy in a parking lot. Um, it is a lot of fun on a back road. <laughs> it does come to life on a back road. I can, I can guarantee you that because I have driven it in twisties and it's much more fun there. That's where it belongs. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a slog. The problem as a is, commuter. Uh, it's so uncomfortable for me to sit in. I couldn't get comfortable enough to drive the car hard. Okay. And that is a big, that's a big thing for me to have confidence. in car is to feel comfortable in sure. it and not feeling comfortable in yeah. it. I can't drive it. And that's one of those things that I, that's a, a personal fit in the car. And maybe if we, we took some more time to adjust the seating, maybe it would work, but yeah, I think uh, like the lowest car I've ever owned is the Talon, right? So, but the way I have the seat set up, it's like the front of the seat is pushed all the way up. Okay. So that my legs are bent. I need to have bent legs like in a racing seat. I can't have my legs straight out. Like I'm sitting on the floor. Yep. And that is very true. The 944 does feel like you're sitting on the floor, but I don't have a problem. Like with you're that. sitting on the living room floor, like with your legs under the coffee table and you're trying to like hold a, a dish plate as the steering wheel. <laughs> that might be a little more extreme than I thought, but I don't have a, that's what it feels like. I don't have a problem with how the car feels. I think that my problem is if I were to replace it for the money that it would cost to replace it, there are other cars I would buy for $20,000. I'm almost into my Evo for $20,000. I'm into, I don't know, lots of other cars. I'm into 20 new Dutch Colts. So it would be hard for me to justify spending that kind of money on one if I was buying one at current market value. So I drive a lot of cars that you sit on them and not in them too. Right. I don't know. I, that makes sense. I like I like the car. Um, I have no complaints about the car. Uh, it is a good looking car. No argument there. Um, and it sounds good. Yeah, like my sim seat is the same almost layout, but my legs are are bent more. Right. Well, maybe we can find the right one set up right for you and you can try it and like it more. But unfortunately, it wasn't that. But I'm glad you got to drive it because I I enjoy sharing the experience of the cars that I have. And it's it's good to get that second opinion about about things. But um, I, I I don't regret owning the car. I do enjoy owning the car. I do agree that it's a bit of a slog to drive it on like the daily commute just because it's hard to get in and out of because it's so low and the steering is very heavy. Once you're in it, I'm okay with it, but getting in and out of it can be a little challenging. And, and I've owned... But my other point... Go ahead. Was that they are... Everybody's like, these are God's gift to motoring. And it's like, uh, are they? Yeah, I disagree with that. I think it's a it's a good sports car from the 80s. I don't think it's the world's best sports car from the 80s. I've owned and driven pretty much all of the competition. You know, I've ha- I've owned a first gen RX-7. Uh, I've owned a I really liked the way your black RX-7 drove. Yeah. It was similar but different. Uh, 
I really like the way your Starians have driven. Yep. They're also like more comfortable. Yes, for sure. Well, the Starion is definitely more of a like touring car. A nice sports yeah, car. But why? Why isn't this a touring car? Because it has this more is set up like a touring car. It's car front stuff. engine. Yeah. I don't know. It's a, this is a that's a GT car. It is, but I think it's a little more. I think the target was a little more raw than a Starion. So anyway, mm, I think, I think so. it. it in non-track driving, okay? So we're not talking about going on a racetrack here. We're talking about a car to use on the public road. If I had my druthers, and I would never spend 20 grand on a Starion, maybe I would, who knows? But I've bought them for years for two to $5,000. $800 to $5,000, I should say. I would spend 20 grand on a nice low-mile Starion before I spent 20 grand on a 944. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. That's having experience with both. And like I said, I've had first gen RX sevens. I have well, I haven't really driven my second gen RX seven because it's broken, but I've driven my father's second gen RX seven. I've driven his Celica, you know, rear wheel drive Celica. I've driven um I don't know, all the competition, all the rear wheel drive competition from the eighties. I've have some experience behind the wheel, whether owning it or driving it, flat body starions, wide body starions. And the ones that feel the most special to me are the Starions. And I, I, it's not, it's not something that I'm saying because I'm a Mitsu fanboy. It's something that I'm saying with an open mind, having experienced all of them. I genuinely like the driving experience of a Mitsubishi Starion. I would take the Mercure in its current state over the 944. Okay. And I bet once it's sorted, it's a much better car. I think the only thing I've heard negative from anybody on the Mercore is that they have a little bit of a numb steering feel. So it's possible. It's hard to tell because those tires are the wrong size mm-hmm. and they're tram lining. Terribly. <laughs> That's on the list too. I just, I can't afford another set of new tires right now. <laughs> so I have the factory wheels for it. So I will be putting the factory wheels back on. With the yeah, I bet the factory wheels with a little bit of sidewall. Yeah. That car is probably pretty sweet. It's amazing what a difference it made, even in the terrible Corolla, going from the tiny little stretch tires to a tire with a proper sidewall. So I can only imagine how well it will do in a car that has actual suspension travel. So anyway, so those cars are all together. The Corolla runs better. The Mercore runs exactly the same. The Crescent doesn't run at all. But that's pretty much what we did for car repairs while you were here. I think nothing else, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. Let me go. Let me touch on one more that I've been working on before we get to the things we did. Um, I guess more appropriately, let me touch on one more that Naomi has been working on. I've yeah, just, big update. Yeah, we haven't heard about this. Car I've in just a while. been out there, kind of going over it with her. So she has that 1968 Ford Mustang. I think we probably talked about it like embarrassingly enough two years ago when we first got it. Probably. And it just sat because Erica's life, right? Everything else happened and it just sat. So what we did do was we bought an engine for it. Probably it also took a while to source the engine and took stuff. a little while. We got an engine for it. We bought the engine from a guy off Facebook marketplace who happened to be local. It was out of a 19... I don't know. It was an early 70s Ford F100 pickup truck, but it wasn't the engine that came with the truck originally. 
So the Mustang is originally a factory 302 four-speed air conditioning car. So it was my goal to get a somewhat error-correct 302 back in the car. I didn't really want to do a full modern engine swap. I didn't want to do a 351. I didn't want an LS swap or any of these things anybody's talking. I want to make the car as close to it was when it was in the family originally. So I'll do the 10 second version of the backstory on the car for anybody who's new to the podcast. Uh, Naomi's mom, Bonnie, bought this car in 1971 when she was either in high school or just graduated high school. And it was her first car and she drove it all over the country. Um, Naomi's father was in the military and they, he was at all kinds of different military bases. And the car has been everywhere from Lompoc, California to uh, Massachusetts. Actually, he was stationed in air at Fort Devens actually for a little while. So the car has literally been coast to coast in her family's ownership. After her mother was done dailying it, actually Naomi drove it to college. And then when that was all said and done, her grandparents actually towed it behind an RV for a long time. So the car has seen some life (laughs) and we just kind of want to bring it back to the car that Naomi remembers during her driving it to college years in the late nineties. So that means keeping on the stock, not stock, excuse me, that the the turbine wheels her mom put on in 1972 and keeping it a 302 and keeping it a manual transmission and keeping it with air conditioning. So searching for a 302, there are a couple ways you can go. You can blow the entire budget. Oh, hold on. Go ahead. You've got the other key point. The reason why you need an engine is because the person who the car was left with in storage yes. stole the engine out the of it. The car went into storage and not the person who had the storage place where it was, but a affiliate of theirs or a acquaintance of theirs uh, decided that since nobody was touching the car, that they needed the engine. So they stole the engine and transmission out of the car, which really stinks. Now, at least the car was in storage and nobody had access to it or could see it. So this person had enough time to take the engine um, neatly and cleanly. So it wasn't just like hacked out of the car. It was unbolted out of the car and everything was left in place. So all the har- wiring harnesses there, the, even the headers that Naomi's mom put in the car in the 70s are still there connected to the dual exhaust. So it was at least removed with some, it, it was stolen with respect. How's that sound? Yeah, it's weird, but whatever. Yeah, it's a very weird story. And I'm sure there's more to it that we don't know. And we probably never will know, unfortunately. I'm sure if we dig deep enough into the town where it was stored and the person who was storing it, we could probably get more information. But at this point, it's been a long time. This probably happened. Probably owed someone something and they're like, oh, just take the engine out of that car. Right. So this probably happened sometime in the mid 2000s. So like 05, 06, somewhere around there. Anyway, so we needed an engine. We bought this engine out of a wrecked F100 that had been rolled over. It was not a correct engine. The engine casting numbers came back to a 1975 Ford Maverick. Now, anybody who's into cars knows that a 1975 302 is not the ideal 302 to buy. But the way I looked at it, it didn't matter because we we're going to pull it apart. We we're going to send it out, have it, you know, bored with new pistons, 
you know, new cam and buy a set of decent heads for it. And that would make that 75 302 run just like an earlier 302 or even better than an earlier 302. So the edge has been in the backyard, covered up, wrapped in plastic, so it stays nice and dry. We finally got it moved. Actually, while Andrew was here, he helped me move the engine because it was kind of challenging across the gravel part of the lot. It was on an engine stand. So you helped me move the engine. So Naomi and I, Saturday night this week, started tearing into it. Pulled off the intake manifold, pulled out the pulled off the cylinder heads, um, and got a little deep into it. So pulled the intake manifold off, could see all the push rods and the whole valley, everything looked nice and clean inside. Pulled the valve covers off, everything looked clean inside there. Pulled the heads off, and they look actually in really good shape. I actually need to get the calipers out and check the valves because they look like they've been worked and are oversized. And then I went and I looked at the casting numbers. Now, again, the engine casting numbers came back to a 1975 Maverick. So I checked the casting numbers on the cylinder heads, and they actually come back to a 1972 Ford Torino, which means that they're not a smog year cylinder head. They're a better cylinder head than 75 would have had. 72 is still, you know, quote unquote, muscle car era 302. So that's positive. And they're really clean looking. And like I said, the valves actually look modified and oversized. I just need to measure them and find out. So that's excellent. Digging a little deeper, the pistons all say 0.060 on them, which means that this motor has already been bored out. And looking at the cylinder walls, they have the really nice crosshatch pattern on them. And this motor hasn't driven very many miles. So it's already 60 over. It already has 72 heads on it. And the 72 heads look like they've had some machine work done to them. So it's all a positive. I pulled out the, the lifters and they're a flat tappet style lifter. And there's almost nowhere on the bottom of them, which is good. So the motor probably doesn't have many miles on it from when it got rebuilt to when it got put in this truck and the truck got wrecked. Uh, I probably am going to change the cam and we probably will do, you know, roller rockers just for reliability and longevity. Also, ease of breaking in without worrying about flattening out a cam. So we probably will change that. It's cheap insurance. Plus, then we'll be able to purchase a cam that works well with the fuel injection that we're switching the car to. So that will be good. Um, I was going to say one more thing, and then I lost my place. Oh, so the confusing thing, and the reason we thought this would just be a stock 75302 is it had a, yeah. a two-barrel intake manifold on it and a two-barrel carburetor. So it's strange getting into it and seeing all this internal work done, but still breathing through a two-barrel carburetor. So, whatever. The only thing we really need to buy now is a four-barrel intake manifold because we're just going to run all the other stuff. Four-barrel intake manifold, a cam plus the roller rockers, because we have a Holly sniper for it and we have the Holly distributor, uh, electronic distributor that is used in conjunction with that Holly sniper setup. So the beauty of that Holly sniper is that it looks factory. Once you put the valve cover on it, it looks, you know, most people wouldn't, oh, the air cleaner? sorry. Yes. The air cleaner. Most people wouldn't even notice that it's not 
a carburetor and it runs and drives like a fuel injected car because it becomes a fuel injected car. So pretty excited that we got as far as we got, um, get a machine shop in Gilbert, Arizona to bring all the parts to. They're going to take the heads and go through them, make sure they are good, make sure they're flat. And they're going to take the bare block and just hot tank it and clean it. And then uh, we're going to reassemble it with all new bearings and new rockers and go from there. Or new lifters, I should say, and go from there. So, so you already took the pistons out? Uh, everything's out. Cars are, cars are part in the backyard. So. Oh, so you might as well throw new rings in it. I'm going to do new rings as well, yep. Yeah, we're gonna just we're gonna freshen up all that stuff, but we're, it doesn't look like we need to do any machine work, unless of course we get to the shop and the shop says there's something wrong, which would suck. But I don't see how there could be. They might hone it for you. Just yes, have them just hone yep. it. They'll throw yep. some new just clean it up. Yeah. So, but I want to make they sure won't, oh, they won't bore it out. They'll just hone yep. it. Yep. Yeah, just clean it up. That's all we want. So that's uh, that's exciting. Um, then we're just you know. Uh, bought a gasket set and put it all back together. So we're, uh, we're getting somewhere with that, which is important. Was it, it would have been blue in that car, blue. the engine or the gold color. Nope, it's blue. It's blue. I think pre 60, sorry, post 67 or 67 and up is blue. And like 66 down yeah. is gold. Maybe there's, I, I, I could be wrong on that. I don't know my Ford facts as well as some Chevy and Camaro stuff, but I'm learning. I'm learning. So it will look all totally factory underneath there. So we're even keeping the stock valve covers and not changing them to like Chrome or anything. The ones that say, you know, powered by Ford. They're embossed with that powered by Ford logo. They're really, they're really kind of neat looking. So it'll be cool. And I think that, you know, a 60 over 302 with a decent cam and fuel injection. I, I think what's that probably 250 wheel horse, you know, yeah, probably nothing, nothing fancy. Just that's enough to move a 2,300 pound Mustang. <laughs> so 2,600 pound Mustang, whatever it weighs, it'll be probably much quicker and more reliable than it ever was. So that's, uh, that's, it's exciting. And I'm stoked on getting that car move. Do you know what it has for a diff? At uh, top of my head, I don't, I do have the documentation somewhere where I ran all the numbers I can double check again, but yeah, curious to know what ratios it's got. Yeah. We are also changing it to a, we, we bought a used T5 out of a Fox body Mustang. Yeah. Um, so it won't be a four speed either. It'll be a five speed. So we'll also probably get 30 miles a gallon on the highway. So it'll be good. Maybe not 30, but mid twenties at least. Unless it's got like three tens. Yeah. Mid twenties mid at <laughs> least. It doesn't have three tens. It's got a stock rear gear in there, whatever it is. So I don't remember what numbers they came with, but it, I remember it not being the, like, it wasn't the super highway gear, but it also wasn't like it was a drag pack car. So it was somewhere. It's like three, nine, maybe. I, I don't remember. Three, I'm not even going to guess. I'll have to, I'll have to look know. I'm just throwing out gear ratio things that I've heard. Yeah. Over the years. <laughs> yeah. 411, 390, 373s, 273s. I, I don't, I don't know what it is. Oh, that was, yeah, that was the hot setup on a Fox body. It was 373s, I think. It was like the uh, 411s for full drag racing and 373s for, I don't know. I don't remember. Um, I'll have to look up and I can update next week on what setup's in there. But it'll be cool with the five-speed with that motor. I'm excited to get it done. She's excited to get it done. So it's kind of like, you know, I've, I've, I owe her a lot 
uh, of Project Car Time because she's put up with all my garbage for, I don't know what's been five years now, Andrew. So that car is so straightforward. Like you guys can get it back from the machine shop, put it together. Yep. You use all your uh, break in grease when you put it all together. Yeah, of course. I'll do it assembly all right. Lube. Yeah, assembly lube. The only, the only challenge I'm going to have with that car is the wiring for the sniper. I'm sure. Why? I'm sure it's fairly straightforward. I'm just not a hugely super confident wiring guy. It's power and ground. I'm getting better, but it's going to be a little bit more. There's no, well, there is an ECU, but it's all standalone. So it's not. Yeah, but it's just, it's just modifying from stock is where I'm going to have. No, you're not trying to. I don't even know how it works, but exactly. But I know it's an old car, so you're not even trying to adapt it. Like you're not doing an engine swap in a modern car to another modern car. Right. Like a modern engine to a modern car. So you're trying to like adapt ECUs or anything. All you're doing is putting this thing in, giving it power from the battery and a signal probably from the ignition. More than likely, yes. And uh, you got to put some O2 sensors in the exhaust. Yep. Which it's and dual exhaust. You, you start it up. Yeah. Or wherever they tell you to set it up. Yep. Maybe it can work off one. Who knows? I don't know how they set up exactly. But yeah, and then it just all it does is just gets in a feedback loop. I've seen people do it when you start it up, it like goes into learn mode and then it's like five minutes later it's good to go or whatever. Yeah, it seems like a pretty straightforward setup. I'm I'm not I'm, I don't want to say I'm nervous about it. It's just it's gonna be the most challenging aspect of it, I think. Next to There's probably a bunch of YouTube videos. Well, and, and it's a Mustang, so it's not like I'm unknown territory here, like this exact and project. I'm, and I bet done. Holly has their own videos on it. They one hundred percent do. Um, I think that's going to be and the does it, most challenging thing. And then probably also the uh, air conditioning install because I'm going to, it was a factory AC car, but I'm going to update the air conditioning as well to more modern, like vintage air stuff. Well, I'm sure all those parts exist. because the They do. Yeah. And there's a store in town that stocks them all. So I'm not worried. About and the, does the sniper have like a display? Yep. Yeah. It's got a little tiny, like three inch by three inch screen. Which most guys wire up so inside I, the like ashtray. You just pull the ashtray out, and it's right there. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's small enough to hide away. You don't have to like. You say Naomi's son Jordan would be good at hiding that for you in the car somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Well, actually, it's a pony package interior, so it has that roll-up door in the center console that's in front of the shifter, oh, okay. and we can put it right behind there and just open the door. There it is. Close the door. Car's a carburetor, so yeah, shouldn't uh, shouldn't be an issue. So anyway, I'm, I'm just super excited to learn new things and, you know, it, listen, every, every project you learn something new, right. And this is a big one for me. So it'll be cool to keep, keep moving in and getting it done. So, and like I said, it's, it's, it's going to a, it's, I certainly owe her a lot of gratitude for putting up with all my project car stuff, but also getting her a running, driving functional car will buy me a ton of project car time myself. So it'll, it'll be cool to get done. Not that I need to buy myself time, but you know what I mean. Oh, actually, I, I don't want to go too long today, Andrew. We're going kind of long, but we have a it. story to tell that we didn't tell yet. It involves parts, Connor. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, we forgot. Right. Oh, my God. It's so funny. So when you own obscure cars, we all have that. It's a what now? Questions been asked a thousand times. 
Oh yeah. And you, oh, and yeah. you expect it. It's not the end of the world. And we told the story in the podcast before. I think this reminded us of it. Andrew was when we were on a road trip in North Carolina and the conquest alternator let go. And the guy's like, so you need an alternator or a Concord? We're like, no, it's a conquest. And he's like, all right, Chrysler Concord, got it. No, man, it's not that. This was a very similar story, except this guy was even more dead wrong. And I don't even know how he got there. So I went to the parts counter at O'Reilly's because we wanted to get a coolant temp sensor and thermostat for the XR4TI. So we went to the parts counter. Now... The kid behind the counter, we're pretty sure, was driving the Mustang that was parked out front that had a veil side sticker on the window. So we already knew we were probably in trouble because veil side is a company that did tuning on Japanese cars, not Mustangs, <laughs> and it didn't have any veil side parts on it. <laughs> so that was sign number one. But we walk up the counter and we're like, Hey man, I need these parts. It's like, all right, what kind of car? 1989 Mercor. So what does he do? He goes, okay, 1989 Mercury. He doesn't say it out loud, but I know what he did because that's just what everybody does. They don't know what a Mercor is and they assume I'm pronouncing Mercury like an idiot. So I wait for him to start asking questions about what engine it is not that there's engine options but usually ask anyway and he never asks and then he turns the computer around he goes is it kind of like this and he shows me a picture of a lincoln lsc yeah he was googling the car yeah i was like huh nope it's a ford but it's not that and I looked to see how he, and I, and I, oh, I forgot a part here that's important, is I also spelled it to him. I was like, it's a Mercur, M-E-R-K-U-R. And he goes, okay. And I look at his computer. It's not like your accent was weird. No, I was very, Mercury very succinct when I say these things. And he goes, all right. And I look, and he has typed M-E-E-R-K-O-R into his computer. And then when that didn't give him any results, he had the word car. And that is how somehow he got to a Lincoln LSC. Not even sure. So I said, no, it's you're on the right path. I said, it's a Ford product, but it's a Mercor, and the model is XR4TI. He goes, oh, okay. So he's now looking the part up, and I spell it for him again. And he shows me the computer. And I think he's on Ford now again. And I'm like, no, man. It's not a Ford. It's a Mercor. Well, it is a Ford, but it's right. not a Ford. But now I, I know how I confused him. So I'm like, let's just get off this whole Ford thing. I mean, to be fair, it's sure. their marketing confused a lot of people. Sure. But I'm being very succinct in how I'm saying this. And this is where it goes completely off the rails. Because... He then asked what engine it is. And I said, it's a 2.3 liter four cylinder with a turbo. And he goes back to his computer. And it's, it's a couple of minutes now where he's looking something up and you and I are kind of like looking at each other like, 
okay. And then he turns to us and he goes, GMC never made a 2.3 liter turbo. And I didn't know what to say. Where did GMC even come from? We, we haven't had a conversation about pickup trucks or trucks or GMCs or anything General Motors. We were on Ford. We got to Lincoln. We pivoted back to Mercury. And now we're, we can't find the, a 2.3 liter turbo in a GMC? What? Where did this even come from? What, what is happening right now? And I'm like, man, it's not a GMC. Oh, what is it? I'm like, the brand is Mercor. That's the brand. Ignore everything else and just go straight to Mercor. So he goes to M in his computer and it doesn't show it. And I'm like, you have to go to show all because it obviously just shows like the common cars. It shows Mercury and Mazda and Mitsubishi. It doesn't show Mercor. So he gets to show to show all and then he finds it. And then he goes back to Google and now he types it in while looking at the actual wording in the catalog. And he pulls the car up and he turns it and he shows me a picture of a white XR4TI and he goes, is this it? And I'm like, yeah, that's it. And in my head, I'm like, what does it matter what it looks like on Google if you have it pulled up in your catalog? <laughs> but whatever. I don't know, he's trying to understand. I don't I know. I don't know. Whatever. And then he goes, man, I've been a mechanic for all these years and I never even heard it. And that's what I'm just like, yeah, probably not. That's okay. <laughs> Well, he's a mechanic at a Hyundai dealer. I don't no, know. He's, he's a mechanic at the O'Reilly's parts counter on a weekday. Uh, anyway, it's unimportant. I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to say if I tell you the name of the car and then I spell it more than you. And then I, yeah, exactly. Insert Ron Swanson <laughs> meme. I'm, or the, what was it? Um, the Jimmy Fallon, the, your company's computer guy is like, Move. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just let me type yeah, it in. Exactly. But what, what I'm telling you is if I come to you and I give you the correct information to the point where I spell it out loud and I'm very succinct and you just like are arguing with me for whatever reason, like just stop. It's not going to help. Just move on. Like just let's make this right. So the moral of the story is just bring part numbers. Look it up yourself and bring my part number. It's called rockauto.com. Steal a part number and then go to O'Reilly's. It's just, it's frustrating. So, yes, you're right. I don't even, I, it's weird. We're, we're where you and me differ. I never, I almost never go to the parts store unless I'm buying like oil or something. Well, I mean, I go all the time because it's convenient. Products. And I don't know how you're uh, See, I do it ahead. Of, I order all my stuff ahead of time. We've talked about this before. I just plan ahead. Planning ahead. I don't know what that is, Andrew. I'm not good. Because then I can look up all the things I want. I mean, it. listen, I we're not sponsored by Rock Auto. We should be. Right. Because the amount of money I spend there. Between but, the two of us. Uh, yeah, between everybody in our Discord, uh, we like keep Rock Auto afloat. Uh, it's like you can, you get to pick what you want, and I just pick it out, and I go through it. Yeah. And I like the way the website works. It's like a parts catalog. Oh, the parts catalog works great. And I just, I don't, I don't ever think ahead enough. And sometimes I do. And then the way my brain works is if I do think ahead, I get all excited and I order these parts and then I put them on a shelf. I never do the goddamn job. And I want to have stacks and stacks of parts. 
Well, I don't know. That's an execution problem on your end. Yeah, it's a. It's a I have I have part shelf set up. I also like, have in my parts basement here. All my set parts up in the basement. Each car has its own shelf. But my executive yeah, function I grab all the stuff and I go work. My on executive it. function disorder brain doesn't like uh, doesn't like to plan things out. Or plan executive function <laughs> it does does it because I said execution. What's that? I said execution. Yeah, and I said my executive function disorder brain, which is like ADHD. That's what it's called, executive function disorder. Oh. Yeah. My executive function disorder brain doesn't know how to properly plan things. So it's just chaos in there, Andrew. Nobody would survive except for me in there. So. I, You know, I people crap on the Rock Auto website for some reason. I'm like, I don't know. I really like it compared to like other e-commerce parts websites. It works way better than every standard parts catalog from like O'Reilly's or Advanced. Those parts catalogs are the worst. And And on those parts catalogs, you can look it up and you put your whole car in and it will still give you parts for that GMC the guy was looking up parts for. I don't understand why. Rock Auto, you get your car, you get to your engine, and then it's broken down by category. It couldn't be any easier. It reminds me. But like once you're in the car, you can like look through the different systems. Yeah. Whereas like if I went, uh, this was my gripe with the place I used to work for. One A Auto was like they had like a they had to have like an e-commerce website that was like fancier looking. It was like hard to look stuff yeah, up. Yeah, don't need that. It was Just like not connected simple. to the car. Simple. Make it simple. The the Rock Auto uh, catalog nice. reminds me a lot of a factory OEM catalog, which is exactly. probably why I like it. So. And both of us have. When I worked at 1A, their complaint was always like, how do we get shops to like buy from us? It was like, well, the website is not designed for shops. Like, yeah. When I when I worked in a parts department, we'd also use like the Napa catalog. Yep. Which also is not great. And it was funny. When I took over, we were always calling the Napa place. And then they were like, we have an online site. This is like 2010. And we're like, you do? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we're like, okay. And then we like never called them ever again. We just would look all our own stuff up yep. and just call them like, and just order it. And they just deliver it. Like I don't need Napa's, somebody else to look it up. I can look it up. Frustratingly, Napa's website is not Napa.com. But that's beside the point. They have a, they have a professional website that is different than the one that you can access. But even the customer website is not Napa.com. Customer. It goes to some other company called Napa that's unrelated altogether. And I always forget that and get Weird. annoyed. Yeah. It's right up there with Nissan.com. But anyway, it's and even like you know, the advanced app is like okay, but it's still not as good. It's not great. Like it still I, gives me too yeah, many universal I, parts. It's like looking up parts on Amazon. It's like I don't need universal bolts for license plates or yeah. When I, when I type in fog light bulb, I don't need every aftermarket off the shelf fog light assembly that's universal. Like just give me what I'm actually looking for. Like that's what I like about rock auto. It's very specific. It's not fancy. It does the job and it gets it done and you get your part. And 99% of the time it's correct. Every now and again, it's wrong, but that's people is what it is. Nothing's perfect. So we were both parts guys. I'm not advocating getting rid of parts guys, but the problem is there's not very many good parts guys. Because good parts guys like us left because because the, the working that job is annoying. There's no pay. So like just cut out the middleman yeah. and I'll just look up my stuff. Nope, hundred percent, hundred percent. Which is why I like all the Japanese websites. I can look up the stuff myself. Yep. Yeah, they actually give you the catalog pictures from the factory catalog. Usually, yeah, so the OEM catalog yeah. pictures. So easy. Which is exactly, and it's the why. It's the reason why I go to, for whatever reason, the Subaru dealer that is like 
two miles from my house does not do online sales. So stupid. The one that's like 10 miles away in North Reading does online sales. So I buy all the OEM Subaru parts from them. That's because the dealer dealer and I look it up online. It's corporate. What? Because the Subaru dealer near your house is a corporate company. They're part of a huge network. Whereas the Subaru dealer yeah, in Reading is this Subaru dealer in Reading. But it's subaruPartsOnline.com. Like, it's like hosted by Subaru, and you must sign up for it as a Subaru dealer. Mm-hmm. And they're just the local dealer that does it. But again, it's all the factory catalogs. And I just look it up. And a couple times, like, I've put the VIN in. And like picked apart, and then the guy like emailed me. He's like, "Oh, you need the the other one, blah blah." I'm like, "Okay, sure, fix yeah, it." Yeah, his expert opinion. Fixes Thanks for it. checking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I need. For I don't need to ask you for the, the part, but if you want to just double check my order, right. that's perfect. And also, it gets rid of that whole communication breakdown error. Like I remember working in the parts department once, and I didn't know what you know a stepper motor was. But this person mm-hmm. used the vernacular and got so mad at me, I didn't know the term stepper motor. I, mean, I know what it is now, but at the time, I didn't know what it was. And I was looking up all kinds of things for him, and he's trying to tell me what it is. And he did had, he spoke you know limited English, and he knew exactly how to say stepper motor. But I had never heard it called a stepper motor. You know, it was basically an IAC, and I just didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> so I knew what an IAC was. I just didn't know what a stepper motor was. And stepper motor is more like the universally accepted term across industries, not specific for cars. So that's why I didn't know. But I knew- Oh, and then I had this old head one time from a body shop calling me looking for drip rails yep. for like a 2004 Lancer. Sure. And I was like, what do you mean drip rails? Like they're basically just like plastic pieces, sure. right? on a modern car. And I I forget what the, I was like, I even said to him, like, they're not like a, this isn't like a 57 Chevy. It doesn't have like chrome drip rails. No, they're moldings, (laughs) drip rails. I still, I still call them drip rails. That's body shop industry standard. Um, That's what they've always been to me, but I also grew up in a body shop and work in a body shop now. So that's, they're, they're drip rails. That's just the, usually on modern cars, their body color, if they exist. And they just cover the pinch weld, basically. So, but yeah, those those are trip rails. But I, but again, you didn't know that because you weren't from the body shop world. So, to you, you're looking for roof moldings. Same thing. But anyway, touching a couple other quick things before we go, Andrew, off off the project cars and dumb stories. We did a couple of things while you were out here. A couple of events. Oh yeah. Um... Pima Air and Space Museum yep. in Tucson. It's a must go to. Oh yeah, it's only two hours in Phoenix. Um, it's not car related. I guess we got lucky but... that week because it was the air show week. Yeah, that weekend was the air so show. So it's this, it's this massive museum that has both. It like, what they have five hangars or six hangars? Yeah, there were five or six full huge hangars, and then their hangars they weren't like just small hangars. They were. These are big no. buildings. I wouldn't even describe them as a hangar. They're only hangars because they had airplanes in them. They're huge buildings. Warehouse. Yeah, and I I think they were even like special made for them. Like they weren't like oh, for sure. an industrial hangar. Yeah. Like Yeah, no, they're so, designed to be a museum. 
I've been to a couple air and space museums that are not like I haven't been to the Smithsonian, but I've been to like you know some local ones, right? And sometimes stuff is like kind of piled on top of each other. Well, because like, airplanes right, are cool, big and like, space is at premium. Yeah, it's tight in here. Welcome uh, to Phoenix. But this Tons place, of room. yeah, it's so big and everything is like was displayed really nice. Yep. Like the bigger planes were like put up on like pedestals. You could like go underneath them. Yeah, what was the um, pontoon style stuff boat that was above. on the water? Uh, that's PBY Catalina. Oh, yeah, the PBY Catalina. So they have like this full display with like fiberglass water. It looks like it's landing and like super, yeah. super rad setup. Um, we didn't even go in all the buildings because they have a whole outside that's got a bunch of planes. They, have, they had two 747s, they had a bunch of B-52s, like two or three of them. And the cool thing, one of the coolest um, things I thought was, and it was from early on in his presidency, but they literally had the first airplane that JFK was on as Air Force One. Like, yeah, wh- what? That's just here. Like, it just seems it seems such a cool thing to see in person. And then it was uh, it was funny. I was talking to my dad afterwards, and I was describing to him one of the planes. I didn't know what it was, but it was just a big multi-engine bomber. Okay, and he's like, oh. That's a B-36. I was like, oh, okay. All right. It was the one that, I don't remember, it was the big silver one, but it had the props turn rearwards. Yeah, it was outside. They're facing the back. Yeah, it was a pusher yeah. instead of like. Sure. Um, Yeah, like that's super rare because it didn't really, like it didn't work that well, so they didn't like use it very long. Okay. Well, I the, you touched on it real quick, but the cool thing is that it happened to be a couple days before the air show in Oh, right. So we're outside looking at stuff in um, uh, what's that town down there? Tucson, Tucson. Because yeah. there's an air base next door. So years ago, I guess you, you used to be able to tour. This is where the military boneyard is for aircraft yeah. in Tucson. But years ago, you, you mean used to to tour it. pre-pandemic. Yeah. Now they don't allow you to tour it anymore. But uh Still, this Pima Museum has plenty to look at. Yeah, we, 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 it requires two or three days to see everything. We, I, I want to go back because I did not see everything. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. And, and if anybody listening ever comes to Phoenix, hit me up. I'm going to go to the Pima Museum with you. Like it's totally cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, they were the Thunderbirds were practicing above us. Yep. Amazing. Amazing. I've never. So that was pretty cool. I have not seen them as an adult. I know I went to an air show as a kid and I saw, I don't remember if it was the Thunderbirds or the Blue Angels. I think it was the Blue Angels. So I don't think I've ever even seen the Thunderbirds flying in person. And we were just kind of walking around outside looking at old airplanes. And you don't hear them coming. You only hear them when they're directly over you, which is frightening to think about in a wartime situation. But all of a sudden, it's just like the ground is shaking and there's one of the Thunderbirds a few hundred feet above us. It wasn't very high. <laughs> it was super cool to see. So we saw what two or three of them flying around at first, kind of practicing yep. their maneuvers and banking and turning and turning on and off like the, the smoke show. And then we're like, all right, that's cool. Let's start walking it this other way. All of a sudden there were four of them in the air flying in like the almost touching formations, which is, I, I, I can't even describe how cool that is. It's just the amount of precision control required to fly something that fast, that close is intense. 
So I, uh, I normally when you go to the Pima Museum, you're not going to get this show, but as, as a as a bonus, man, what a cool experience! What a cool experience! Yeah, it was. It was it's really yep. cool. Um, just being in the mechanical stuff, it's cool. Yeah, airplanes are just cars that fly, right? <clears throat> oh, there was a Subaru engine that goes in a, like a Cessna. It was a flat six turbo. Yeah, the dry sump. That yeah, was cool. So I don't know if I'd go into a, a Subaru powered aircraft, but you know, oh, they're Volkswagen Beetle powered for years too. So I, I wouldn't do one of those right. either. Um, I think actually we we kind of forgot about one of the coolest things at there. I mean, there. So you had Marco. We, we, we had Marco with us, who was obviously your son. Yeah, uh, and they had some cool stuff for the kids. Like they had an old fire truck they can go up inside of, and some cockpits they can go into and kind of play around. But the coolest thing, I think, which just blew my uh, my mind, uh, was being able to like, just go stand underneath an SR seventy one Blackbird. Yep. I mean, growing up, that like I had like the micro machine and like uh, another diecast version of that plane, and that was just the coolest airplane. And I never got like super huge into airplanes and military stuff, but I always loved that airplane. And it's not something that I ever thought I'd even like be able to see in person and then i could you could literally walk right up to it and touch the tire like what fastest vehicle on earth so cool so cool to stand underneath it and see you've seen tons of pictures you don't realize the size or the specialness of it or they had all the other parts they had a brand new tire there in a case which i learned are impregnated with aluminum and they're silver to withstand the speeds required at landing, you know, and they had the parachute thing all in a box right there. And just, it was just, it was so cool. I, I'm super excited to see an SR-71 in person, obviously not flying, but just to, just to be in the presence of that airplane is, is just something, you know, obviously it's all so old now. And to think about the fact that that thing's from the sixties, like, yeah, it's so cool. Very cool to see it. But yeah, it's it's. Uh, I highly recommend that you that you do it. Um, if I did it again, I'd go a little earlier and try to get the tram tour mm-hmm. because you have to do it ahead of time. Yeah, right? my guess is that on the tram tour, they probably explain to you some of the stuff that you can't learn on your own when you're outside. Mm-hmm. So I like to go back and do the tram tour. But yeah, for the was it fourteen dollars or seventeen dollars a person to get in. Totally worth it. Totally mm-hmm. worth it. So, uh, we also went to Fort Hill Four while you were here. You got to see the Adventure yep. Machines show, which I don't always go to because I don't have an Adventure Machine. Um, but it just proves that every event at Fort Hill Four is super cool. Even just trucks and off-road motorcycles made for a really makes a really good show. Um, just the vibe there is just so laid back and fun. Can't really. Uh, can't really beat it. Uh, we went to Pabs while you were here. Uh, oh, we yeah. got to see the twin-engined Volkswagen Squareback. Oh, that thing's so one cool. of my favorite local cars. It's two Volkswagen, I think, oh, thirteen hundred and something CC engines put together on a common crank with this like super high-rise manifold with four downdraft Webers on it. Uh, it sounds ridiculous. It looks ridiculous, and it makes like 380 horsepower <laughs> in a square back. 
and it's front engine now at this point obviously it's not full, it's full gasser style yeah so i think i've posted pictures of it before maybe or maybe i haven't so that's one of my favorite builds uh and then you did not partake but i went to what is more than likely the final nhra event at firebird raceway so i have never been to a professional level drag race before i don't know how in my 40 some odd years i have not been to one but i've never been to one you know they had them in new england i just never went it's uh you know i said words can't describe the pima air museum but words can't describe the feeling in your chest when a 11,000 horsepower drag car goes by. Absolutely intense. Um, drag racing is not my favorite of the motorsport, but it's fun to watch in person. It's fun to watch two cars, and they don't do quarter miles anymore. It's a thousand foot. I'm not sure if that's a widely known thing or not. Quarter mile is really kind of the, the standard for years, but they changed it a few years ago. I had no idea. Yeah. They changed it a few years ago to go to a thousand feet because the cars were just getting too fast. You know, they were hitting 330 miles an hour and a quarter mile. And they're like, let's go back to a thousand feet. Let's just cut it back a little bit. Uh, the problem is now they're doing 330 miles an hour and a thousand feet. <laughs> so they're every bit as fast as they were in a shorter track than they were at the long track, which means they'd probably be doing 400 miles an hour an hour and a quarter mile. But they're literally 11,000 horsepower in those top fuel cars. And I don't know how to describe that other than like your daily driver is probably 150 horsepower. And that's times 11,000 almost. That's like 10,000 times the power of your daily driver record. Like what is even going on in those engines? I, I can see why they have to tear them down after each run. Because that's just massive, volatile, crazy explosions for 11,000 horsepower. The announcer was talking about how when they were staging, they have a limited time that they can set the cars to stage because they use a gallon of fuel every 11 seconds just at idle. So... Not on throttle, not wide open injectors, just idling at the line. It's a gallon of fuel every 11 seconds. So if they don't stage quick enough, they run out of fuel. (laughs) And also, it's important to stage in the right amount of time because you've set your tire pressures to the exact amount of weight that you think the car is going to have when the light goes green because... You know, a gallon of fuel weighs a lot. And if you take an extra 30 seconds staging and you use three more gallons of fuel, you've shifted the weight balance of the car enough that you're not going to put down the traction to go down the quarter mile. What? (laughs) Like, you have 30 seconds, sir, do this. Like, that's crazy to me. Um, And I guess 30 seconds in the world of drag racing is an eternity considering the thousand feet is... 3.7 3.7 or something like that. 3.4, I think we saw. So the cool thing is, is that in between rounds, they have local cars come out and they do bracket racing with like local hot rod guys. 
So we saw a bunch of, you know, 69 Chevelles pulling wheels at the, at the line do and doing the racket racing. So that was kind of cool filler in between. So I do have some more pictures of that to post. I think I posted some on my personal page. I should post them over on the auto off topic page as well, but it's a good time. If the NHRA ever comes anywhere near where it's close enough for you to go, I would, I would recommend it. It wasn't super, super expensive compared to most sporting events, but it was definitely worth it. Plan on being there most of the day, but it was, it was definitely cool. And I, I would, I would do it again. And much like the Pima air museum, it's something I'd love to take people to for the first time because just seeing the expression on people's faces when they hear these cars the first time and see these cars the first time is just, it's cool. It's cool stuff. So, and then I think to really blast out the last event here so we can kind of get moving on because we're running a little deep tonight. Uh, yesterday was the front row moto show here in Phoenix, <clears throat> which is a, I have no other way to describe it other than a hipster motorcycle event. Um, Okay. A lot of cafe style, a lot of choppers, a lot of bobbers, all kinds of stuff. Just all custom vintage bikes. I went to it last year, posted a bunch of pictures. I took a bunch of pictures this year. Wax up your mustache. and Yeah, 100%. They, one of the sponsors was Live Bearded. So it's definitely. Uh, oh, there you go. You live bearded every I, day. I do. It's, I do. I did you. not stop at their booth and talk to them about beards because that would be weird. Um, also, they probably just try to sell me beard oils. Beard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, it was it was a cool event as always. I saw some cool cars, cool motorcycles. Just makes me really want a motorcycle again in a bad way, or to finish the ones that I have. So it uh, it's full worth it. Apparently, it is the end of Bike Week here in Phoenix, which explains why there were so many motorcycles when you were here last weekend, because that was the beginning of Bike Week, and I was completely unaware that it was Bike Week which I find strange because I'm pretty tuned in to the car culture here and assumed I would have known if it was bike week. So, but I don't know if you noticed how many motorcycles were around when you were here last week. I think we were talking about it on our way back from four till four, that there were just all these like bike clubs out riding around together. And that's why it was the very first weekend of bike week. And I didn't even realize what a big deal bike week is. Like they had a main stage set up and like one night Billy Idol was there and one night Megadeth was there and one night Stained was there. And I was like, how did I not hear about any of this? <laughs> not that I'd probably go see any of those bands with a bunch of bikers, but how did I not know this was even a thing? Like, I didn't even know it was bike week. I just thought it was nice weather. So there are a bunch of motorcycles out. But anyway, that's why the front row motor show happens, but it happens uh, but it's definitely a more low-key event, and uh, the the best custom bikes in town for sure go to that event. There were some real wild builds in there, and I'll get some pictures posted up shortly. So, but that's it. That's been the past uh, couple of weeks of events. I'm trying to make up for you not having anything to do in Massachusetts, Andrew. Plenty of stuff. Plenty of stuff. I mean, I got some stuff. I took the cover off the Montero and. I uh, ordered some parts for it, and I don't know. That's about it. <laughs> right. So that's why I did plenty of stuff. I, I didn't even talk about the Tempe Town Lake Concourse or all, all kinds of stuff that's happened. Like It seems like I was just talking about this at work today that 
there's been some kind of really cool event here every weekend for the past two months straight. So it's been, it's been a good time. Gonna have that. Well, good for you. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm only, everybody come visit and then come at the right time and you all want to move. I promise. All right. Well, speaking of events, I re-upped our dirt rally event. Okay. Um, the first, so I only did it for three. Trying to help people improve. So it is this, we're running it all at New England. Uh, but the first one is the same cars we're running the last event. So people can just like slide right into it. The second one will be rear drive cars, Ugh. vintage rear drive. Yep. And then the third one will be group A cars. So Evos and SDIs. Yeah. I'm actually super excited for that because I have much better in those cars than everything else. So that's going on. Uh, come talk trash and compare times in the Discord if you want. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's about it. So you can follow me, Out Off Topic. Sorry, you can follow Out Off Topic on Facebook, Out Off Topic Podcast, Out Off Topic on Instagram. We've got a Discord again. You can message us for the link. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Race Anger. I'm Race Anger on Twitter. And also, come check out parkedontheblock.com. We're putting up posts basically daily. Uh, you can follow us on all the socials with that. It's Parked on the Block on Instagram and Parked on the Block without the K on Twitter. And Brad, where can they find you? Oh, they can find me on Instagram at TSISS350. They can find me on Instagram at our other page, Scale Autocast. They can also find me on Parked on the Block, and they can find me on, well, really can't find me there because I'm never there, but I am on Twitter at DeSantis underscore Brad. So I think you can actually yeah. just search Brad or Brad D. Auto Off Topic might work too. Um, yeah. Or Auto Off Topic All Brad, right. no, something like that. I'm not good at the Twitter, guys. Sorry. Right, cool. Yeah. There's that. All right, cool. As always, keep cars analog and aim for the roses. <laughs>